0: Hello and welcome to today's startup equity matters. Uh, today we're going to cover uh, equity 101, uh, the basics of handling your cap table for your startup. Uh, so this is probably for first-time founders, early-stage founders, someone in that pre-seed to seed stage, or someone that could be helping a founder. Um, sometimes it falls to chief of staff, or you know, just someone who's pretty smart and organized, uh, you know, to assist the founder. It could also be Um, younger attorneys and lawyers who are just looking to learn about the space, um, you know, as they're coming through and getting their experience with cap tables or just trying to work out how to do them better, because there's kind of an old school and a new school way to do cap tables. And we're certainly, you know, leading the charge um, to make equity as as simple and fast as possible. Um, So we sort of calling that the new school. Um, Yeah, so Startup Equity Matters is um, a podcast that's all about helping early stage startups get value from their equity. Uh, Sometimes we have guests and sometimes we talk to topics that we're experts in and we try and give you the answers, simplify things, streamline things so that you can manage your startup's equity better. Today, I'm recording from Santa Monica uh, in LA um, over here for... Tech Week, which is a wonderful week, um, meeting partners and founders and generally immersing ourselves into the ecosystem here, which is a thoroughly enjoyable experience. Um, yeah, so um, let's get into today's episode. Um, so, I do this presentation very regularly for cohorts and startups uh, all around the world. Of course, more of a focus on the US and Australia. Um, you know, we're talking about the the very early stages so it's friends and family angel rounds pre-seed seed rounds all those sorts of things i think once you get to your series a um you know you've quite often got some experience you've done a few things you probably have some professionals in your company like a cfo or a financial controller finance manager legal counsel these types of roles sort of seem to kick in around late seed series a so we're sort of talking to those those really early stages and we're gonna do the basics. It's very important that you get this stuff right. So your cap table is a summary of who owns what in your company's equity. It's gonna include safes, notes, stocks or shares, depending on what country you're in, um, options. So your your ESOP or your stock option plan and sometimes even warrants, uh, which are kind of like an option as well. So you can kind of think of it as a big list of everyone who owns a little piece of the cake in your company. Uh, It's governed by the constitution. So there's a legal document that says what you can and can't do with your cap table. Every time you want to do something with your equity, so um, have a new stock option plan or run around or um, really anything that you want to do with your equity, you have to get it approved by the members or the stockholders. Uh, And it's super important to keep it up to date because a bad cap table is a real red flag for investors. And we're going to go through um, what a bad cap table is um, at the end. Uh, I'm also going to go through how to protect your equity and try and minimize dilution uh, at the end as well. So right at the beginning, uh, we're probably talking about things like founder splits and founder vesting. Um, It can be hard uh, and founders often grapple with how much equity each each person should have. Uh, we would always advocate if there's two founders, you start with 50-50. If there's three founders, you start with a third each. It's much better than having it highly skewed one way or the other. Uh, it, it solves a lot of problems and it reduces a lot of pain. Um, a founder does need to be full-time. So if they're just, um, you know, they may have a different business and they're providing you some leads or they may be an advisor of some kind and, um. You know, but they do need to be full time uh, or going full time at some point. So quite often, startups start off as a side hustle. So there has to be an intention for this to be, you know, one hundred and ten percent commitment to scale the company um, at some point, and that should all be documented. Which I guess takes me on to founder vesting. It's very important that founders' equity is vesting, so which means um, you have to kind of earn it over time, similar to a stock option plan where. You have a 12-month cliff and a four-year vesting period. It's very important that founders' equity is vesting as well because there's lots of reasons why founder relationships can break up. It could just could be a family matter. It could be a commitment matter. It could be an income. You know, Some founders really need the income and just can't commit over years to having lower income. Uh, and the founder vesting is like a rule book or how to manage um, those situations when one founder has to leave or or something like that. It's very important that the equity can get back into the company. Um, So once you've done your founder split and you've got your founder vesting, so you know how to protect the company and protect the founder that's staying in the company. Um, And then you're probably going on to your first round. So it's very common to use uh, a safe for the first round. Um, A safe is is a type of equity. it's not actual stocks at the time. Um, it can The actual stocks or shares are issued down the track. I'm going to go into the details on that in a minute. You're trying to minimize the amount of dilution uh, at this point. So one of the big goals of your cap table as a founder is to get sort of to your Series A with as much equity as possible. Um, sort of 50 or 60% would be amazing. It's not always possible to get there with that much equity, but it's a good goal to have. And so with the very first round, you want to try and keep the dilution um, to around 10%. The dilution is kind of, um, if you're starting with a hundred, at the end of the first round, you kind of want to have about 90%. And the other 10% would be with with the new money coming in. Um, The new money coming in could be up to, up to 20% on that first round. Um, Then, you know, how else are you going to use your equity right in the beginning? Um, first hires, absolutely. Um, they could easily have 1% each. There's some really good um, benchmark data coming out now about how much equity to give to each role, um, depending on the stage of your company. And Cake has that data uh, built into it as well when you, you're actually going to issue those those options, um, those, you know, granting options to your team. Uh, but, you know, first hires, uh, they quite often get more. As a percentage, then later hires because the company is not worth as much and the risk is a lot higher. Uh, it's also important when you're hiring to pay part cash, part equity. Uh, it's very common in startups. Almost every startup has a stock option plan of some kind. And if you can pay, um, you know, just say for argument's sake, a person would be getting $100,000 if they're working in an enterprise role, you might be able to offer them seventy dollars or $80,000 uh, cash with you know 50000 dollars worth of equity each year uh, to compensate them for you know for a reduction in the cash component, and a lot of really good people are happy to work with some skin in the game and to go on the mission with you. So it's a really nice way to protect your runway. We would advocate getting your advisors um, on on some sweat equity as well, or you know get them on, into your stock option plan. Um, Some advisors will work uh, for no um, compensation and and that's fine if they're happy to do that. And you do need to minimize uh, using your cash and using your equity. So it's a bit of a balance. We would advocate normally um, getting your advisors on um, the Founder Institute FAST agreement. Uh, It spells out kind of how much equity each advisor should get. And then give them a proper stock option a grant in a platform like Cake, so the founders can log in, and they really feel like they've got a, you know, some skin in the game. And if the company, if and when the company is successful, they're really going to get an outcome. If you're just doing handshakes and kind of side deals and or email deals, it's very much more difficult for the for the advisors to feel like it's real. And if you do go on to become a unicorn that they're gonna get their little piece. Uh, Whereas if you've got a a proper agreement in place, um, you've got them in your your ESOP or your stock option plan with a proper signed up agreement, much more likely to get buy-in from them and build trust. So let's go on to the types of um, capital raises that you're going to be doing. There's really three main types. You could do a safe round, uh, convertible note or equity. So a SAFE is a simple agreement for future equity. It's quite common at pre-seed, also for seed, and then bridging round. So a bridging round would be, say, between seed and series A, or between series A, and series B. All these terminology, it's a little bit arbitrary, but you know, for argument's sake, um, your seed round and your series A are most likely to be equity, and the ones in between, quite common um, SAFE. But with the SAFE, they're faster, they're less costly, More flexible, less time sensitive. So, you could, for example, um, raise a safe over a two, three, four, five month period and be banking money and throughout all that period and utilizing that money to grow your company. So, it's a really wonderful tool for that. With an equity round, you're not able to do that. We'll get onto that in a minute. There's no real valuation required for a safe. Valuation can be tricky to do and also tricky to agree with investors. So, there's really no valuation, although there is a a valuation cap on a safe, um, which without getting into too much detail is a bit tricky. It's the the value that the safe will convert to shares uh, at the next round normally. Um, So setting the valuation cap can be a bit challenging. If you need help with that, just let me know. Um, There's no real dilution. So there's no actual creation of new stock at this point with a safe. There's normally no new terms. So even though you get a term sheet sometimes with a safe round, they're not requiring an update to the shareholders agreement or the stockholders agreement when there's a safe round and you don't normally get a board member unless it's a big safe, perhaps with a million dollar lead check or something like that, there can be a board member uh, assigned. So they're faster, they're less costly, they're more flexible in general, never they're a common instrument. The downside of a safe is that they're harder to model and you can have issues when you, if you do a down round and your, your cap table is just a little bit less stable. So um, with an equity round that we're going to get to, you're actually issuing new stock. Everybody knows exactly what percentage they own, what price they've paid, and, and it's all nice and stable. With a safe, um, you get the money in and you issue the safe. There could be a discount. There could be a cap. And it's just a little bit harder to see what's going what's going to happen in the future. Particularly, for example, if you have a $10 million cap, and you raise $2 million, so you think it's 20%. But then when you do the next round, you might get a $6 million pre-money um, valuation on your next round, and then your safe round was $2 million, so that actually turns out to be a third of your cap table. So it, it can cause you uh, dilution issues down the track, so you just need to be careful of that. A convertible note is another common instrument to raise capital with. It's almost identical to a safe. I'm not gonna go through it in too much detail. It is actually debt that converts to equity in the future whereas safe is not probably technically debt. Although for all intents and purposes, they operate very, very similarly. Convertible note can have an interest payment attached and it does have a deadline. So it normally has uh, a three-year sort of uh, maturity date, which can create some complexity and issues. So from a founder side, you'd normally be going for safe. And on the investor side, they're probably normally going for a note. The more traditional method of raising capital is equity. Um, so this would be seed, series A, series B, normally your big rounds, uh, the pros, of that is they're stable and clean. So you're actually issuing stock. Everybody knows exactly what they own, what price they paid. The cap table is is nice and secure. It it is favored by many investors. Uh, It's largely standardized and you'll normally get a board member. Um, So you'll have probably a term sheet, update to your stockholders agreement and a new board member, all those sorts of things uh, would happen in an equity round traditionally. on the cons, with an equity round, they are more costly. There's real dilution and they're time sensitive. So normally you've got to have an attorney. Uh, all the money goes into the attorney's account. All the documents are signed. There's a new stockholders agreement. You know, that that whole process is quite costly and complicated. And then the new stock is issued and the, the cash is uh, released to the company. So there's a whole big legal process and it kind of all has to happen at the same time. So it's a bit more time sensitive. You'll normally get new terms um, when you do an equity round, which can be good and bad, but from a founder perspective, probably just creates a bit of overhead and a bit of complication. You've got to manage your investors from that point onward. So I've put it as a con, although um, there are definitely some benefits um, in having a board with terms and creating professionalism uh, around the way you manage the company. I've also got the board member as a con and a pro uh, because it definitely can be in both camps. I'm just going to quickly talk to valuation now. Um, it is a complex area. First-time founders, um, people that are new to startups, um, even me having been around it for a long time. Uh, it took me years to kind of get the hang of it. In the end, I found a valuation canvas, which we can we'll probably share the link in the notes. And I made it into a spreadsheet as well. So you can quickly work through the... Uh, like this valuation tool. So there's four methods that um, are pretty widely accepted in startup land. So the first one is the revenue multiplier. This is the one you probably hear about most. You know, is it 10X? Is it 20X? Whatever, ARR. Um, they were very, very high in 2021, uh, back much more normalized in 2023. But it's, it's more of a series A plus valuation method. Uh, can be used a little earlier. It's a bit of a rule of thumb um, and it's very common. You have to differentiate between your recurring revenue and your non-recurring revenue because they have very different multiples, um, but that's one method. Another method is valuation by stage. This is very common. Most investors, angel investors, VCs, are seeing a lot of deals and you know, by the time you finish your 20-minute pitch, they'll have probably roughly come up with what they think you're worth. And they're using some rules of thumb um, like valuation by stage. So Is there an MVP? Um, Are you liable in revenue? Do you have growing revenue? And so on and so forth. And they're largely kind of trying to work out where you fit in that, in those buckets and then assigning you a valuation roughly pretty quickly, I would have thought. There's also the future valuation method, which is a great method for the founder because this is the one that normally gives you the highest outcome. So you're looking forward two to five years and you're saying, we think in two to five years, our revenue is going to be at this level. And based on, if we discount that back to today's date, uh, you know our our expected valuation is whatever it is. Um, and it's it is a traditional method. It's a little bit of a spin on the discounted cash flow uh, method, um, but it, it is a a good one to add into the mix just to help you think about the big picture and the big outcomes that, that can uh, occur. And then gives you normally gives you a little bit of upside on the val when you're negotiating with investors. Another very traditional method is the Berkus method, B-E-R-K-U-S, globally recognized. It's a very simple process where you've got five categories, the idea, the prototype or MVP, the management team, strategic relationships, and your traction, and you give yourself a score out of 10 for each of those factors. You multiply that out by 500,000 per factor, and it gives you... Evaluation, like a you know, really early stage valuation, when you're around that incubator accelerator stage, and you're just getting going, and you're probably not, you know, really in market with real revenue traction, and so on and so forth. But it's a another really good uh, widely accepted method. I would normally advocate choosing a couple of those, and then utilizing that as a great discussion point uh, when you go out to investors. I'm just going to talk a little bit about dilution. For those of you that are new, especially if you don't have a finance or legal background, it can be a bit confusing. The general premise is that um, on day one, if you're a founder, you might have 50% of a $5 million company when you're raising your C round, for example. So you've got $2.5 million worth of equity. Uh, Fast forward four rounds and you could be at Series C and instead of having 50% of that company, you could have 10%. So you've been diluted from 50% to 10% the dilution normally comes from investor capital coming in. So when the new capital comes in, they own a percentage and that percentage increases every time you raise more money. Plus there's probably an allocation of equity to your ESOP for your employees and that that'll be a percentage as well. So with all the capital coming in and and the ESOP, your employees participating, you go from 50% to 10%. But the idea is when you, have 10% of the company that the companies were 50 million or hundred million or more at that point. So even though your percentage has gone down or been diluted, the value of your asset has gone up tremendously. In this case, it's gone from two and a half million of the seed stage company to 10 million, which is 10% of a hundred million dollar company. And C- series C company equity, so much more liquid, zero liquidity on the seed stage medium liquidity on series c so you've massively created value for yourself um, during that period um moving on to some terms um cap tables is part legal part finance so on the on the finance side you've got your spreadsheet you know your cap table summary which is kind of the names of the people and how much money they gave you and whether they've paid you or not and how many exact shares or options or notes they have and what percentage of the company that is. That's kind of like the financial element. And then probably the forecasting of that, like the modeling of that, that's that's all the financial element. But there are some really important legal elements to your cap table as well, which is managed by the constitution and the rules, plan rules for the, the stock option plan. And the term sheet is a key, key document. Uh, the first time you see a term sheet, you're likely to be shocked it's a lot of legal jargon, and every single clause in the term sheet is actually fairly complex. So let's go a few through a few of those now. Um liquidation preference. so this means that um, you probably all heard uh, of the of the preference stack. Um, if not, you know you kind of need to get across it. What that means is if an investor comes in and they have a liquidation preference, it means that they get their money back for, the ordinary shareholders. So um, one times non-participating liquidation preference is great. Uh, If it's one times participating, or if it's two times or three times, that can have a very serious dilutive effect. It sort of means that investors get their money back, sometimes multiple times of their money back before anyone else, like the founders and employees get their money. So really important to keep the liquidation preference one times non-participating. Anti-dilution. So sometimes new investors coming in will want anti-dilution clauses, which means if the next round is at a lower valuation than the current round, they get more stock to make sure that they retain their percentage ownership in the company again you want to try and minimize that as much as you possibly can try and not accept that if you can some investors absolutely require it and so you'll have a decision to make do we want these investors or not and do we want to do this deal or not uh, ideally you don't have anti dilution founder vesting is another one um it can be really hard you might have been working at your startup for 2 or 3 or 4 years and then you get a new term sheet for say a series a and then there's more founder vesting they want to take the shares you've already vested and revest them over a two, three or four year period. It's really challenging to to swallow, but at the same time, what the investors are trying to do is match your risk with their risk and make sure that you're not going to nick off after taking that capital from them, which can be a very serious amount as obviously extremely important for them for the return of their fund. Composition of the board, uh, extremely important. Again, you wanna make sure that you can stay on as a director of your company uh, as long as possible until you don't want to. So you need to really read in the term sheet who can assign a a board member, who can remove a board member, and just make sure that you have the rights to assign yourself um, as a shareholder and make yourself a director and that you can't be removed. It's also very important to look at voting rights. So there's some things the board can do, the directors, and there's some things that the members can do, so the shareholders can do. And what you can and can't do, it's very important to be aware of that. um, When you get your term sheet, investors quite often put provisions in the term sheet that allow them to do a lot of things that they're not going to do. So you just need to be a bit careful and have a little bit of, I guess, street smarts that even though the clause is there and it could happen that they veto some major decision that you've made, just be aware that that's very unlikely, especially if you've done your research and they're good people and they're good investors. Uh, they don't want to do that. It's just a worst case scenario trigger. And it's really designed, I guess, to stop you taking money out of the company in a weird um, sort of you know, fraudulent or non-arms length way. Um, so just because some of those voting rights can look pretty bad, um, just be a bit aware that in reality um, it may not be so bad. Just finally on term sheets, I'm just going to say a lot of these risks can be minimized by two things, modeling out your cap table correctly. So looking at, just say you're doing pre-seed, look at your seed in your Series A round and try and understand what's going to happen throughout that period and make sure that you've got the right amount of equity that you want looking forward a couple of rounds. You'll you'll need some financial skill for that. Uh, Cake has a tool for that, um, but get some help if you if you don't, and just let me know if you need some help um, managing long term control as well. So that's voting thresholds, board seats, and and consents and things like that. So those are the two big things to to monitor. So let's move on to cap table modeling. I've talked a little bit about it already a, a couple of times. Now, it's just like a cash flow forecast, but it's modeling your equity. So that's sort of looking forward. Normally, a couple of rounds, if you can, and trying to understand what's going to happen. Especially the first time you see a cap table, there's going to be heaps of numbers in there that you are not aware of. How do my safes convert? When do they convert? What if they convert at the discount? What if they convert at the bow cap? How big does my stock option plan need to be? How many people am I hiring in my stock op- stock option plan? Um, do and my advisors are going to get some equity, equity and I want to use my stock options for some sweat equity. And I want to make sure I get all that right. So I'm not going to run out before, you know, Series A when I want to top it up again. So just make sure that you're modeling out your cap table. You're looking into the future. You're doing some scenarios and you're getting some help. Uh, Very, very important to make sure you keep enough of your company when you get out to um, Series A and beyond. Quickly on stock options, um, if you haven't implement, implemented one before, you're probably aware that you kind of need one, that every startup has one, and but why, you know? So um, stock options are a great way to attract great people. So um, people want skin in the game. Um, they A lot of people are not that stoked with the whole enterprise model of just make money and, and Raven and Village or whatever. So, you know, people that want to work in startups, they, they want to be, they want to have some skin in the game. So your stock options is part of that, especially if you're trying to hire some really high quality people with strong SaaS experience to come down and help you build this company. They, they want to take what they've learned and come down. They want to have more autonomy and, and, you know, be part of a great team and a great mission, of course, but they want to know that the stock options they're earning can create a life-changing event for them if they're successful utilizing all that skill they've they've developed through their career, so really important for hiring people definitely saves your money and extends your runway you know like you're able to pay a little bit less because you can top it up with equity so you know really important anyone that's raised pre-seed or seed knows um, how hard it is and how much you want to keep that capital um, as, as long as you can so Retention is another huge element to your stock option plan. Um, You know, each year, if you're able to increase the value of your company, so from five million to ten million to twenty million or whatever, because your ARR is growing and you're de-risking, you're in a big market. As you grow the value of the company, you communicate that to your team, and they're much less likely to leave because they're getting a nice big chunk of equity every year or every month, however it vests. And if they go somewhere else, they're back to square one where they're getting, you know, just that first year equity again. And so it is a really great retention strategy. Anyone that's tried to hire from one of these big unicorns will will know um, what that's like. And look, just finally on that, there is productivity increases. Uh, You can align the stock options to particular outcomes that you want. And I think everybody just really understands that people with skin in the game are much more productive and much more willing to go the extra mile to you know, to make sure that the company is successful. There's two big parts to running your stock option plan. There's the people part and the technical part. The technical part is the legals and the finance and the tax and all the vesting and just keeping all that, that sort of side of things up to date. That is quite difficult. There's a lot to it. Thankfully, Keg has automated and streamlined a lot of that for you. Um, but what a lot of companies forget about is the people part. If you do all that technical part correct and you don't do any of this people part, your whole stock option plan or your ESOP will be super ineffective. And you've just given 10% of your company out you know, over the first couple of years. And if you don't do the people part, it's just a huge waste of capital. So what we're talking about there is building an ownership culture, making sure from the founders to the leaders, everybody knows that we're all in this together. If the founders have an exit, the team's having an exit. Um, there's a communication strategy. So how are you going to talk to your team when you're hiring? Definitely, because you're going to attract better people. When you have your all hands, you know, tell your people how your company's going. How's your valuation? How's your runway? You know, How likely are we to, to have success? And if so, when? And, and make sure that, and when you do your investor updates, you do the same thing uh, with the stock option holders. Change management FAQs, it's amazing how confused and scared and like m- how much misunderstanding there can be in your team about what your stock option plan is. And there's lots of different types of stock option plans. So if you're not like, giving them the time to think about it and talk about it and really bringing them on that journey with how it works and how good it is for them, then you're really missing a trick and you're going to be wasting a ton of capital on your stock option plan and just not getting what you need out of it. So I'm going to finish off with cap table red flags and then how to ma- minimize dilution. So super important. Um We've talked about a few of these already. So cap table red flags. Large holdings with no value add. So this would be A co-founder that was there for a year and then left and has 40%. Huge problem. Or an advisor. So an engineering team or an accountant or a lawyer or someone that helped out early on but never went full-time and has a big chunk of equity. Huge problem. You've got to get that back. That's why I talked about founder vesting and the fact that you have to be full-time to get founder equity. Found a percentage too low, you know? So as you're going through the rounds, you're just getting diluted too much. Um, You need to try and minimize that so that investors know you've got enough skin in the game and you're going to get enough motivation out of building this company and doing all that really hard work that you need to do. If there's no ESOP, investors don't want to invest. They want to have that in place before they invest. Otherwise, they know you're going to put it in later and dilute them. Broken data and records is like... You know, you can't have a spreadsheet different to the legal documents. And if you've got some regulatory lodgements you have to do, all that stuff has to be under control. You do get a little bit of leeway early on while you're learning and some investors will help you on that journey and that's fine. But you want to make sure it's as tidy as you can. Bad terms and side deals, you know, sometimes angels or family officers or anyone really, you know, in those first couple of rounds, they can give you really crappy terms and they can want their money back and just the valuation can be really bad. There's, there's a bunch of stuff to try and avoid. Um, so nice, clean terms. Just look at the YC, you know, safe, you know, just go talk to a proper startup lawyer and, and they'll give you very standardized agreements and deals and help you find out what the crappy ones are. Too many investors as well. So really big cap table or messy cap table, or it's really hard to get things signed by by your investors is another thing to try and avoid. So finally, how to save dilution? You know, no founder wants to bust their butts for four or five years and you know get to a secondary or an exit and then only have just a tiny amount of their own company, as we talked about. You know, you do get diluted over time and that's part of the game as, as every all the stakeholders come in, but you want to try and minimize that. So um, I would say bootstrap as long as you can, learn fast and hit your milestones fast. So you want to, if you can skip pre-seed, skip it, just do seed. Uh, if you can skip them both and do series A, great. Um, if you do pre-seed, um, keep it to 10%. Make sure you hit your seed milestones so that when you do the seed round, you can get the biggest valuation possible. So it's all about raising as few rounds as possible. Sometimes you have to do pre-seed and seed and seed plus before you get to series A, but each round dilutes you. So try and go seed series A if you can. Um, You know, Just get as far as you can with your money. Um, How to do that? So have an amazing team with very little waste. So like the ideal team of like product manager, engineer, someone that can do sales or marketing, really, really tight team that can design and build and learn and go to market, like really lean, um, no code, all those things. Um, getting really fast to scalable channels. So... You kind of have to do all that unscalable, unsexy stuff on day one. Like it's very, very common to have to do hand-to-hand combat sales in the beginning while you're learning. But the quicker you can get to those scalable channels that match your product and your market and your ARPU and all those things, and you can get them going, the sooner you can get your seed and series A round done, which is going to minimize dilution. And the last thing is just being super strong with your terms and your valuation. I've seen some founders do a wonderful job of getting high valuations and small amounts of dilution and just saying like, this is what needs to happen for this company to be successful and for this cap table to be strong and for us to go on this journey together successfully. There of course is tension between the investors. They want to have as much equity as they can because that improves their chance of return as well. But that that needs to be in balance and the stronger and clearer you can be as a founder why you need a higher valuation and why you need to minimize dilution is going to really help you as you go through your rounds um, to to get where you need to be. So that's it for today. I think we did about half an hour, maybe a tad over. Um, it's really, really important stuff. I do this one all the time. Founders have given us tons of feedback that it's very valuable. So I hope you've learned something. I hope I Uh, I guess, presented it in as interesting and clear a way as possible. I'm always here to help. So if you need help, um, come through the website, come through my LinkedIn, um, definitely get in touch. We want to make sure that your equity is working for you and um, you you have a super successful journey. So thanks for joining. And that's the end of Startup Equity Matters for today. See you later.